Welcome to episode 20 of the Brown and Black podcast. My name is Jack Rico. And I'm Mike Sargent. And every week we explore race and pop culture through a brown and black lens. This week, we have a very special episode. On this episode, we're going to talk about black and Latin horror films. It is something that is clearly not covered enough and jack's gonna give his three favorite latin horror films and i'm gonna give my favorite three black horror films and we're gonna talk about the genre of horror in general and why it's important for black and brown people to speak through the lens of horror i remember growing up watching horror films and being completely devastated after i saw a horror film first horror film that I ever saw, Mike, I still remember. I was living with my mom. My mom was a single mom. My dad had left me when I was around two. And I remember it was like a misty, rainy night and it was nighttime. And on the TV was a movie called The Exorcist from 1973, I believe. Somewhere between science and superstition, there is another world. Wow, you were watching The Exorcist at home? Yeah, wow. I must have been around eight years old. What? Your parents let you watch The Exorcist at eight years old? Yeah, yeah. That's child abuse. Yes, it is child (laughs) abuse, man. It was like the early 1980s, and I remember watching it and then like sitting up against the wall Uh, in a fetal position. (laughs) Just my eyes barely overlooking my arms watching the show and going the devil's coming i could not sleep without thinking that as soon as the lights were turned off the devil would come and elevate me and float me through the air and i would vomit on people's faces and this is the power of movies fear is one of the core emotional elements that we have we've been telling horror stories since the beginning of language, since the beginning of communication. And fear is very powerful. Fear can motivate you to do something. Fear can make you do many things. And, you know, I think that's one of the crucial, I guess, important reasons that horror movies, fear movies exist. Well, interesting what you're saying, uh, because I, I completely believe, you know, we, in life, we are motivated either by fear or desire. So depending on what is stronger to you, that's what's going to motivate you. So I think it is definitely primal. I think it's part of what we do. I think it's part of, you know, bias. It's a part of, you know, uh, we're afraid of what we don't understand. I think that that's part of why we have all the divisiveness we do in the world and in the country. I'm one of those people who I was never a big horror fan, but I've always had friends who were super horror fans. So I know so much about horror movies that like, I know much more than I want to know. I could, I could hold my own with any horror fanatic. So you went through a horror phase. Was this, you know, when you were a teenager or no, I did not go through a horror phase. No, I I did. That all I watched was horror movies. Not, Not at all. Okay. I just have had a lot of friends who were totally into horror and would make me sit through these movies. So I've just seen a lot. I've come to the conclusion, I think part of the reason people love horror movies is that it reminds us that we're alive. I think that, you know, it's been talked about that horror movies, you know, you see somebody in danger, you know, it's not you. Okay, but you can get scared. 
You can be like, jump. You can scare as if that scary thing was happening to you. But then when the lights come on, it's over. You you did not, you know, your family did not turn into zombies. You are not possessed. You're not spitting up vomit. All of that is is just make-believe. And I think, you know, people love to go to the movies to escape. And there's nothing more escapist than the distraction, I think, of being scared. True. And it reminds me, you know, historically, we've Hollywood's been making horror movies in English, obviously, for for since the inception of film. But what was the first Spanish language horror movie done by Hollywood? And that's a 1931 Dracula movie. You know, when you listen to it now, a lot of people thought it was lost and they like rediscovered it in the 1970s and restored it. And now people are saying that it's the Spanish version of Dracula is actually better than the Bela Lugosi 1931 uh, Dracula version as well. Unfortunately, there haven't really been many Latin X actors doing horror movies or Latinx horror movies that are within that span. I mean, I can recall La Llorona. If you will come for them, who? La Llorona. The paranormal activity one uh, with the Latino cast. The lady who got killed, she lives right under me. I had an idea. Let's go check downstairs. What the hell is happening to me? But those films really never went anywhere. They never went into the lexicon of pop culture. And, you know, we still have a lot of resistance um, for the mythology of Latin American culture horror. And, And hopefully that will change now in 2021 that we're having now new executives that might appreciate those and, and I think the big one for me, Mike, was when I saw Get Out. Now that I really come to think about it, the first real black horror movie wasn't Get Out. It was actually... Dun, 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 ah, it's so funny you say that. I thought of mentioning Michael thriller. Jackson's Thriller. When you first saw that, Mike, what did you think? Well, first of all, you got to understand, again, at the time, I had a lot of friends who were into horror, so I knew everything behind it. I knew that it was John Landis who had done American Werewolf in London, which I loved. I knew he'd also brought in Rick Baker, who did the effects. Who brought in also Vincent Price. Who brought in Vincent Price to do the thing. So again, these are, it was iconic. American Werewolf in London was the first, in my opinion, successful horror comedy. It was scary and it was funny. It had genuine laughs and genuine scares. John Landis at that time could do no wrong. He had done uh, trading places. And so he was known to to not only know horror and know comedy, but work with black folks. So at the time, uh, Thriller was great. It was, it was groundbreaking because of all of the things that were, you know, in it, not to mention you know, the beautiful uh, Ola Ray, not to mention Ola Ray, who, you know, I had a total crush on at the time. And Black Horror, for the most part, had either been things like Blackula or or Blackenstein. This was or, like in the 80s, right? No, that's like the 70s. But I mean, oh, they're, okay. you, but you, you could get them in the 80s on video. That's probably what I did. I probably walked I, into like some sort of, you know... Oh. Uh, like like Sue's, you know, video <laughs> stock, you know, on 82nd and Jackson Heights or something like that. And you, I might have seen like the Blackula one. 
Well, well, believe me, there there was a lot of black exploitation horror movies in the seventies. I never saw any of them. I was way too young to see, but I, I always kind of resented them. I resented them because they were exploitive. So black horror was never something that I really took. And the other thing, black horror, when they started doing things like Tales from the Hood and and uh, Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight, uh, they were always black <clears throat> horror were more comedy than horror. So I didn't have a lot of respect for black horror. But as I got older and became a film critic and started seeing, you know, that there is a deep rich history. I mean, let's face it, both Latino and black culture has a lot of mysticism and spiritualism and things that are linked to uh, uh, our past, to uh, acknowledging the ancestors, ghosts, you know, there's a lot in our cultures that have been, in my opinion, aped by white horror films, voodoo and and witch doctors and and all these tropes that you'll see in in horror films. But for me, I I think, you know, you mentioned seeing The Exorcist. I think that that's like you were scarred for life. But my first experience being at home, watching a movie, not realizing I was going to be scared is I almost don't want to mention it's so mild compared to The Exorcist, but I, I saw a film called Trilogy of Terror. Mother, you should see what I'm getting for his birthday. It's a, a genuine Zuni fetish doll. It, it's really interesting. There's supposed to be some Zuni hunter's spirit inside of it. <laughs> and um, there's a golden chain wrapped around it to keep the spirit from making the doll come to life. <laughs> Trilogy of Terror was a, a series of, uh, it was a made-for-TV anthology. It was directed by Dan Curtis, who did uh, Dark Shadows. And it had Karen Black, who was a, mm. a well-known actress at the time. And she plays three different characters in three different stories. They're all written by Richard Matheson, who is, he wrote, you know, The Last Man on Earth, which they made into the Omega Man, and, and I am legend. But... Scared the hell out of me, okay? Because oh, the, the doll eventually possesses her and she looks like the doll. Like you just put in Trilogy of Terror and you're going to see Karen Black with like all these sharp pointy teeth looking like this little voodoo man doll that it's probably silly to look at today. But then as a child, when I saw this movie, forget about it. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. We all grew up with white horror movies. Completely. And... You know, as a brown kid and as a black kid watching white horror movies, you never really thought too much of it. It's more like, yeah, it's a horror film, but it's not until you become older and more aware of your society and the institutional uh, racism, uh, the denying of our voices to be able to tell those stories, too, that, you know, you've like this show has given me this idea now that we're talking about this. There should be a brown and black horror movie that brings together both of our culture's uh, myths of horror, brujeria, you know, like what would a Jordan Peele do with brujeria? You know, what would Guillermo del Toro do with Jordan Peele to create social commentary about racism uh, in America or racism in Mexico, you know? Imagine del Toro and Peele coming together to create something. I think that to me is 
where we're eventually going to go, but I think it's up to us critics to demand it because I think these guys are so caught up in their own stories and their own stuff that they want to tell that we forget that sometimes the fans want to see collaborations at that level because of the rich history that you were referring to between both of our cultures. But you see, that's the thing. And and on our last episode, we spoke to Lou Gossett Jr. You know, having a multicultural approach to storytelling just overall allows uh, like a richness, like you mentioned, that 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 that's what stories should be. We should all we all have something to say about being human. Because we all have different, you know, I, I, I did an interview recently with uh, Mario Van Peebles, and he said something very interesting. He said, you know, penguins in the North Pole act just like penguins on the South Pole. Uh, but, you know, what human beings are still human beings. But each culture has these different things. This is, this is classy here. Yeah, it's, that's what exactly. separates us from the animals is the ability to create our own identity and have the freedom to express that identity. A, a, Bingo. So the freedom to express our cultural identity through the lens of horror is a powerful thing, especially because people go to the movies like we talked about to escape. So that means they don't necessarily want to be hit over the head. But if you can make them walk out seeing something like Get Out did, feeling something, recognizing something about what is going on with humans then you've done, you've done, you fulfilled the purpose of art, in my opinion. So let's get right into it. Here's my number three horror movie, Latinx, La Casa Muda. Pasa por acá. Esto está peor de lo que pensaba. Hay madera floja, es peligroso. Pero les voy a pedir que lo suban. Directed by Gustavo Hernández, based on actual events that took place in Uruguay in the 1940s, uh, this is a very disturbing, suffocating, groundbreaking, to say the least, and even got a remake in Hollywood, which I'll talk about later. The premise is about a father and a daughter that are hired to renovate an old rural home, but when he leaves to investigate strange noises coming from the second floor... She's left to scrap her way out of the darkness using only a flashlight to then encounter something that will change her life forever. Mike, to me, this gem uh, costs only about $6,000 to make, so low budget, and that's the best type of horror movie when it's like low budget, man. It's gained a lot of notoriety around the world for being the first horror movie shot in one continuous take. That's like what most you know, critics know it for. And Hollywood then took a stab at remaking it, and you might actually remember watching the movie. It was called The Silent House with Elizabeth Olsen in 2011. On Friday, March 9th, at 7.20 p.m., one of the most shocking and twisted incidents ever recorded befell Sarah Murphy and her father. Their ordeal lasted 88 minutes. Witness these true events in real time. I recommend it very highly. This is one of those films that you don't want to go into a house alone ever again. My third film, and and I want to preface this to say that I found this actually 
harder than I thought it would be for me to pick three horror films, three black horror films, because like I said, I'm not a big horror fan and there aren't a whole lot of black horror films that I think are that good. The film I'm going to pick is actually a new film. It's called Bad Hair. Hi. You're not tenderheaded, are you? I'll be fine. Clients wear this stuff as magic. You know, in some parts of India, a woman's hair is her most prized possession. You can't bear to see yourself the way nature would have you. And you scoff at us and our superstitions. Well, those superstitions are in fact tributaries leading to rivers of truth about what you really are. And who you might have been. I, I really, really enjoyed Bad Hair. The premise of Bad Hair is about a young woman played by Elle Lorraine who works at a record company in the 90s, uh, the late 80s, early 90s, which is a great time in L.A. Just as hip hop is about to change the rap game and the music game and, and, and it's about to, to happen. And she has natural hair. She's part African. She's just got she's had some hair trauma. And so she's never relaxed her hair. But when a new boss comes in to take over this music station that she works at, uh, played by Vanessa Williams, uh, it pretty much becomes obvious she's going to have to straighten her hair or get extensions, which were just coming in at the time, get a weave to really kind of fit in and become, as Vanessa Williams says, one of her girls. And she does, but she ends up getting referred to this shop And when she has the hair put in, the hair is not quite hair. The hair has a mind of its own. And it is so much fun. It's scary. It's good. It's so much social commentary. Because one of the things that Justin Simeon does, uh, like a Jordan Peele or like any great writer, I think, is not only does he give social commentary, but he really gives a history of horror of of you know folklore you know there's there's i don't want to give away too much of the movie but there's a character played uh in the movie uh uh, l lorraine who plays anna her dad in this is played by blair underwood and he plays a professor who is an expert on all of this kind of african-american folklore and so the things he says, every line in there is clearly something for us to pay attention to. And it sets us up for what's going to happen. And there are so many great funny moments and scary moments. I believe that this will be an instant classic. My number two Hispanic horror film, uh, this one comes out of Spain. Uh, it's called Wreck. And in order to have any credibility when speaking of found footage films, you have to include Wreck. Muy buenas noches. Les habla Angela Vidal. Hoy vamos a acompañar a una patrulla de bomberos en su recorrido nocturno ponido algún problema. The premise is about a television reporter and a cameraman that follow emergency workers into a dark apartment building in Barcelona and are quickly locked inside with something terrifying. 
the the scares that they use the classic approach the tropes that work perfectly with this new sort of genre approach to creating horror movies uh that honestly was more like you could see the horror in the background but never quite in your face and i think the revelations of those faces towards the end really kind of set you up to want to continue watching these types of films and i think wreck um, is one of the best horror movies in my mind, one of the best 100 horror films made globally uh, in that horror history film. So if you can get a chance to watch it, it's called Wreck. Well, the next film I'm going to name is a film that people may or may not know. It's a film called Ganja and Hess. The only perversions that can be comfortably condemned are the perversions of others. I will persist and survive without God's or society's sanction. I will not be tortured. I will not be punished. I will not be guilty. Blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for thee, preserve thy body and soul for everlasting life. Drink this in remembrance that Christ's blood was shed for thee. And be thankful. Uh, Ganja and Hess was directed by Bill Gunn, and it was actually written by Bill Gunn as well. Bill Gunn was a playwright, uh, and this film is made in 1973. Uh, it starred Dwayne Jones. Now, Dwayne Jones, this is the only other film he really starred in. Dwayne Jones is the black actor who was in the original Night of the Living mm. Dead and I with remember. George Romero from 1968. And... He plays in this film, uh, he plays Dr. Hess Green. That's why it's called Ganja and Hess. Uh, and he's, a, he's this black anthropologist who's doing research on these uh, ancient African nation of blood drinkers called the Merthians. But he has a, a kind of an unstable assistant who, without giving away too much of the story, ends up stabbing him with this Merthian ceremonial dagger. And then he kills himself. But uh, Dr. Hess survives, or Dr. Hess Green, Dr. Green survives, but he discovers that he has now turned into a vampire. Hmm. This came out the year after Blackula. And Blackula was a film that showed Hollywood, a black exploitation films were just starting in the early 70s, and it showed Hollywood, oh, wow, black folks like to see these movies. So, Blackula. Blackula. Of course, Blackenstein and, and Abbey and, and there's tons, Sugar Hill, there's tons of black horror films in the 70s. But Ganja and Hess was not black exploitation. It's actually a beautifully shot meditation on so many different things. As a matter of fact, the year it came out, it was listed as one of the 10 best American films of hmm. the decade at the Cannes, at the Cannes Film wow. Festival in 1973. Now, how many films can say that? So, uh, and at the time, it was really uh, uh, acclaimed. As a matter of fact, Spike Lee went on to remake it awfully, really badly. He remade it and called it uh, The Sweet Blood of Jesus. And it's almost unwatchable. Oh, so go back. Yeah, it's really, it, it, it's, it's really disappointing. But when you see Ganja and Hess, really, you've never seen a vampire film like this one. And my number one favorite Hispanic, Latinx, Latino horror film that I have ever seen, what I would call a masterpiece in horror filmmaking uh, for the Spanish language audience 
is a movie called El Orfanato from 2007. This one's produced by Guillermo del Toro and it's directed by his protege, Juan Antonio Bayona, which is now directing Jurassic World. Um, the Orphanage won seven Goyas. This is the equivalent of the Oscars. And uh, it's completely in Spanish. And it tells the story of a mother who brings her terminally ill son to the orphanage where she grew up, which she has now remodeled in hopes of one day providing a home for other orphans. So when her son mysteriously disappears, she embarks on a year-long search to find him. Imagine a mother who lost her son and hasn't been able to find him in a year. She kind of gives up. But some secrets are discovered that will change all all of their lives forever. It's one of my favorite horror films. I, I had never seen a horror film with such dramatic depth, the relationship between mother and son and the loss of what that truly means, the horror of losing a child. And as a young man myself, you know, I'm not a father, so I don't know the depths of hell that a mother could feel after losing her son. And I think this movie uh, combines exquisitely that horror with the actual horror framework of horror filmmaking. It's heartbreaking, it's terrifying, and it also, and this is to me the big selling point, it has one of the best twists at the end of this movie in modern filmmaking. It's called El Orfanato, The Orphanage in English, one of my favorites, a classic to me that will last the test of time. A hundred percent agree with you. Excellent, excellent film. And the thing about uh, Guillermo is he always picks directors that have a unique, specific and memorable vision because that film was haunting. That's what I remember. And, and something else you mentioned, I think that is important. You know, the horror of losing a child, you know, those are personal horrors, horrors that have nothing to do with race, class uh, or anything, but but they're poignant. And who can't relate to that? Uh, so my number one, I'm sure it's on many people's list, but it's Get Out. Do they know I'm black? Should they? You might wanna, you know. Mom and dad, my black boyfriend will be coming up this weekend. I just don't want you to be shocked that he's a black man. <laughs> I ain't never seen you like this before, bruh. Meeting family, taking road trips. Don't come back all bougie, man. Come back, get your damn pants up to your damn stomach. <laughs> <laughs> We gotta go. Is everything okay? Rose, the keys. Just get the keys. I don't know where they are. Rose! Sink into the floor. Wait, 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 wait. Sink. Mom, it's a terrible thing to waste. No, 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 no. But I'll tell you why I liked Get Out so much. First of all, like I said, Get Out reminds you of why horror films or how horror films really can be about a lot more than scares. But for me as a black man, 
from the opening of that movie, when the character is walking in a neighborhood he doesn't know, and he starts getting stalked by this white man in a car who gets out and starts talking to him. Instantly, I knew that horror. I have done, gone to Queens, gone to a neighborhood where the neighborhood was not, uh, I didn't know where I was going. It was at night. This is before cell phones. I'm, you know, whatever, late teens. And I hear, dude. I was like, okay, where's this freaking house, you know? And that's a real horror, just a horror that someone might want to kill you, might want to do harm to you. Just, they don't know you, they don't know anything about you, but because you are black, you're going to be singled out. And that's a very specific horror. That's a very specific horror, I think, day-to-day living today as a black person, I would not... Is as much when I was a young man, I used to have this fantasy of driving cross country, you know, to California, you know, maybe me and a friend or me and a couple of friends. Picture me and a couple of black guys or a couple of Latino guys going across country in a car today. Uh, that's a horror. To movie. Alabama, exactly to <laughs> Alabama. So that that's a horror movie. So there's so many things about Get Out that worked for me: uh, the social commentary, the interracial relationship, the meeting the white parents, being around white people. Hey, bro, you know I, all of those things. Not knowing what's behind the smile of someone who acts like they like you but you sense something's wrong something's up they don't really and and i there are so many things about get out it's been written and talked about enough so i don't have to go on about it but for me it's it took the horror genre took it to another level and reminded us of why horror is so effective and powerful That's it for this 20th episode of Brown and Black. We hope you like this horror theme. Thank you for listening. And if you'd like to support this podcast, please subscribe to our show and leave a review. Your help will allow us to be heard by many more people. We also have a brand new phone number if you'd like to reach us. It's 949-891-2446. That's 949-891-2446. And you can also follow us on social media by reaching out to us at Brown Black Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. We'd love to hear from you and stay connected. Have a happy Halloween and see you next week on another episode of Brown and Black. <laughs> With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.